0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: A recent award by the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, or DARPA, to the University of Massachusetts is aimed at advancing machine learning in a way that mimics the human mind. The award went to the university's Biologically Inspired Neural and Dynamical Systems, or BINDS Lab, for what this research is all about and why it's important. The BINDS Lab Director, Hava Siegelman. Hava, good to have you back.
0: Hey, thank you. So happy to be back.
1: Now, when we spoke not quite a year ago, you had just received the Meritorious Public Service Medal from your work at DARPA. Sounds like you're not hanging around, resting on your
0: laurels. (laughs) That's true.
1: All right. So this is called the DARPA Ditto Project, Intelligent Auto Generation and Composition of Surrogate Models. How that translates to Ditto, I'm not sure. But what is it that they're asking you to do here?
0: Yeah, so there is a, a particular problem for hardware designers. It's correct for everybody, perhaps to the government even more. And the notion is that if you have a large hardware design and you want to add part or you want to change parts, so this is a part of the design of the whole hardware circuit. The way that they check for correctness now is they simulate the whole system So not only they simulate the new part, but they simulate in order to see that the new part works well with the rest. They simulate with great detail the whole thing. What it comes to is that the simulation takes so much time that it becomes not worthwhile to update their system. So it leads to all kind of bad things like not updating the system or postponing until the last moment or wasting many weeks or month in preparation, or worse than all, putting a new part and not testing it well. That can cost to the defense, you know, any error there would be horrible.
1: When you say hardware systems, you mean the entire infrastructure that supports the operation of software. So it could be changing a router, or changing a processor, or that type of thing.
0: Exactly. Changing just part of processor, just part of the hardware operation so this is really an important thing and the worry was is there a way that perhaps with machine learning we can do the whole simulation faster
1: and what is the difficulty of simulating hardware systems because if you change out something and the software breaks as a result or some dependency deep in the software logic fails to operate you know that in two
0: minutes That is true. But if it's something that the software immediately failed on, you would know that. But uh, typically when you change hardware, it's the underlying of many systems. And it can be part of the system security. It can be part of some operations that is done. And then you get wrong answer and you cannot notice it because it's deep, deep in. So a lot of the hardware component is something that you're not immediately no, it's not just, you know, that you write something that goes immediately uh, to the register and does. It may be something much deeper in it. it. can be actually, in our case, hardware that runs airplane, because we're working now with Lockheed Martin on that. So it can be hardware that makes sure that things work. And you typically would not be in that situation. But if you need to rely on it, you have to know that it works very well.
1: Sure. So to give another example, suppose you change out something in the panel, and these panels are quite complex, of a bomber, for example. Yeah. Then, yeah. I mean, just the other day, they had a problem in a bomber where they were testing a new missile, and the mechanical mechanism that is supposed to let go of that missile failed to open, so they had to fly home with the same missile still there instead of flying it. That's the type of potential that yes. is, uh, this yes. is all it's, about.
0: It's very possible that there is something deep in the hardware that was not tested correctly. We're speaking with
1: Hava Siegelman. She is director of the Biologically Inspired Neural and Dynamical Systems Lab at the University of Massachusetts, which just received a DARPA grant. So since these simulations take so long that they're impractical, what are the possible answers that you're going to explore?
0: So the possible answer is very interesting. We're taking the new parts, which we call that for uh, design under testing, and we take the rest of the system – and the rest of the system is what it, it needs to work with. But the rest of the system was already tested before. And what we do is we take the whole rest of the system, instead of working in great details on each part, we're simulating this rest part by neural networks. And these neural networks can work much, much faster, have much faster clock cycle. Mm-hmm. And then what we have at the end, given that we're successful, is that we're having the dot that we have to test, talking with a large neural network that is doing very very fast the rest of the system and if we can do that way of emulating the rest of the system by neural network the design testing should be in hours instead of weeks and months
1: so you build basically a model of the physical system you render it as software
0: yes exactly
1: Okay, and just quickly define neural network. I hear that term a lot, and I'm not quite sure I understand it. it. took me 10 years to understand enterprise architecture, so now we hear neural networks a lot. What do they do, and how are they different from other networks?
0: So uh, neural network is a method of machine learning, and in its heart, it's adaptive technology. So adaptive technology is everything that you have. Uh, a system can be software or hardware, and you can train it, it changes parameters, and then it changes its behavior. So it's kind of like a system with the various parameters where the parameters are not necessarily have meaning to the external user. So they're not necessarily velocity and length and depth, but they're all kind of numbers that if you fit in, the system will behave in a way that you want. So this is the basic of adaptive technology. Neural networks is one of the best adaptive technology that we know today, or in, in software, they are the best adaptive technology that we have today. So the fact that the general idea came from human brain, where we have lots of neurons, where we have lots of... Parts and the neurons are changing and the connection are changing. And every time when we listen and we learn, we sleep and consolidate information, something is changing in this system. So the inspiration came from that. The reality of neural networks is a bit far from that. Actually, in the BINDS lab, we put effort in taking more and more ideas from biology and from the human brain to advance AI. But state of the art, there are great differences from the brain, but it gives the best adaptive technology we know for today. And that's why that's pretty much the best way that we can to simulate this large hardware because it's a a large with many, many details. So we have adaptive technology that learns and adapts until it does the same thing.
1: And once you have proven this idea, then how does, say, a military branch or an organization go about building a neural network that represents a particular hardware system? What's the process so, to get it built in the first place?
0: So we are actually doing it for them. So what they will need is to get the box that we're preparing. And the way that state of the art actually in, in hardware is that first it's written in software. And then there are a few compilers that take it down all the way to hardware. What we do, we go to the same software in that case, we work in Chisel, which is a programming language for hardware, and we take the same programming language that they go all the way to hardware, we go already to this base, and from that, we take it in general networks. So we touch the same Seed source, So we don't have to start from the hardware. We start from the hardware design. So we always talking about the design. And what we provide is this black box to take their hardware design, make it into a neural network. And then when they have the design under testing, this one, we will have to simulate in great, great, great details. And the rest of the system will be able to simulate in various difference of uh, detail and complexity as needed for the simulation.
1: And can this technology, this methodology, work down to the integrated circuit level, which yes. in some sense is just a million switches? You can't see Yes, them,
0: but... we actually, we had various options to choose what we do, doing. We chose to do the integrated circuit level. So actually taking designs, of integrated circuits that come from Lockheed Martin, which are working with us on that. And they provide us these designs in their design code. And we actually have neural networks, which is accurate exactly to the integrated circuit, but does it much faster.
2: But it
1: could also then go up the scale to the interconnected hardware that makes up a tank or a plane or whatever, a yes. factory.
0: Exactly. Then you can go up level, and we, you can have it under communicating networks that have different parts. So this different part is supposed to work all the way down and up. So
1: you can't answer the age-old, eternal question: Is life hardware or software?
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think actually at these days we combine them so much, both in in reality and life.
1: (laughs) Yes, that's a similar question I asked my biology teacher in high school, but that was well more than a half century ago. So (laughs) maybe uh, it's just been uh, upgraded to different technologies, the same eternal question. Hava Siegelman is director of the Biologically Inspired Neural and Dynamical Systems Lab, BIND at the university of massachusetts as always thanks so much
0: thank you so much
1: we'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com federal drive hear the federal drive on your schedule subscribe at apple podcasts or wherever you get your shows we now bring you a special presentation from our friends at wepa
2: Shane, thanks for joining us can you tell us about wepa and your new podcast mike great to see you again the podcast series lessons and what we're trying to do is, is take a deeper dive, a different angle, into the conversation around leadership with great leaders at all levels of government. Uh, since the 1900s, leadership has been studied in a serious and academic way. Uh, great man theory, the leader-follower theory, the inspirational leader, transformational leader. All of these are backward-looking um, development of styles, looking at an individual, figuring out how they did leadership, and then translating it into a form that we can use today to learn, to perhaps emulate, copy. But great leaders, they have more than one style. I think I truly think that a great leader can adapt and transform into the role that's needed at that time. So, what we're trying to do is is talk to great leaders and go a level deeper. Tell us about your, a story in your past. Tell us an inspiration that really affected your ability to lead others. And this certainly applies in the uh, federal space. The federal government, it's over 2 million employees. Great leaders are throughout the federal government, both at the top and the middle ranks. And what we want to do is Ask them to pull inside their memory, pull inside their personal history, find those moments in time when they were changed, they were inspired, they learned something about leadership from another person, perhaps it was uh, from themselves, and they brought that to the workplace. And they inspired others and became great leaders. So that's what we're trying to do with the podcast. Okay, so I, I get that you wanted to start with leadership, but what makes leadership such an important topic right now for federal workers? Great question. Leadership today is tested like never before. Um, Today's, if I had to put a leadership style, if I had to put names to it, we hear about um, empathetic, we hear transparent, we hear uh, inspirational. So today we have COVID, we have a down economy, we have people... We have social uh, injustice that we're dealing with. There are many new factors. And it's drawing like never before on a leader's ability to pull from within themselves and adapt to the current change. So leadership today is almost brand new again. We're taking all kinds of different styles, attributes, learnings that leaders have. They're looking at the current situation that we're in and Understanding how do I move groups of people? How do I move my employees? How do I inspire? How do I get them to the next best place? So I think leadership today, this conversation uh, is extremely relevant, perhaps more relevant than it's been in several decades. You know, we talk about an employee's personal route to growth, but what role does the management side have in this? I think in the federal government, it's, it's a little bit different than it is in the private sector. Uh, my father was a civilian federal employee. Uh, he joined the federal government in the 1960s. Uh, John Kennedy, he was inspired by ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. He had opportunities to go in the private sector. That notion of service inspired him it inspired an entire generation. I would like to think that call to service, which is unique in, in the federal space, in the government space, still exists today. Well, that about says it all. But is anything else you'd want the audience to know about you personally or WEPA as an organization? Uh, I have been uh, around the group affinity insurance world for um, three decades. Uh, I've led. This is my second uh, major organization that I've led, and I will tell you that we impart this feeling. Uh, you mentioned it, Mike, about service. This notion: we serve those who serve. And uh, I will tell you that it's refreshing. It's a blessing to be there, and <clears throat> I have so much respect for civilian federal employees at every level of government. In this podcast, we're hoping to talk to. Leaders which are similarly inspired and can share their learnings over a lifetime. And uh, this will be useful information uh, for anybody in government service. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.
0: Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events
2: you can handle. Visit livexlive.com/podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.